Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. That's my Halloween voice. Sorry, I had to do it. If you're annoyed, I'm sorry. It's Halloween, so get over it. We always like doing funny, goofy things for Halloween. Ryan, happy Halloween. Happy All Hallows Eve to you. Why can't witches have babies? Their husbands have Halloweenies. That's my Halloween joke. Because they're hollow, there's no semen. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm there with you. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, not I that funny, it. but I got it. <laughs> um, we have a fun episode today for you, and uh, just a few things. Happy Halloween, I hope. Thanks, thanks for letting... Uh, inside of you be your podcast to listen to i know there's lots of choices but um hopefully we're doing something right here we're, we're having real conversations with real people with celebrities with uh, all sorts of folks it's exciting uh also the inside of you online store tons of fun merch lexmas autograph scripts ship keys from the show autographed tumblers and uh sweatshirts inside of you, uh, lots of cool stuff. Go on there. There's tons of stuff. And on the talkvillepodcast.com, we have autographed new artwork. Tom and I both signed it. There's only 50 prints. Get them while they last on the talkvillepodcast.com. And last but not least, well, before that, my band Sunspin, sunspin.com. We're trying to do another stage it. So make sure you follow us on Instagram. You can go to my link tree on Instagram. It's at the Michael Rosenbaum. Um, and the link tree will tell you all the things I'm doing, cameo and all the other fun stuff, cons going to Rhode Island and Nashville. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So hopefully I can hug you and we can, Tom and I will do a smallville nights, at, uh, both those events. And thank you everyone for joining patron. You guys saved the show without you. Couldn't do it. Patreon.com slash inside of you. If you want to support the podcast and you can also follow us on our handles and write a review. If you really want the show to do better, I'm Ryan. Oh, at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. That is correct. Our mm-hmm. guest today, Ryan, mm. is a famous DJ, mm-hmm. also done some acting, writing, bit of everything, a loving man, just a really lovable human being. I've known him for years, and um, I actually, on his first wave show, I, I was on that before. He asked me if I want to come on again. I do, Richard. This guy talks about his relationships with other musicians talks about his career his life it's such a unique thing he was around at such a unique time when his career blew up um you know those 80s those early 80s and into the mtv era and um you know and he is still around and still doing a lot of fun stuff you could listen to him every week on first wave um let's get inside of my friend richard blade it's my point of view you're listening to inside of you with michael rosenbaum inside of you with michael rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience all right the first thing 
this guy does is gets in here and starts talking about hanging out with Duran Duran. You were just in Chicago, <laughs> Richard. Yeah, just go back yesterday. One of my favorite bands. One of, so many people love Duran Duran. I've seen them in concert. I remember I met Simon LeBon, and I was just like, hey, I'm a big fan. He's like, oh, great. He's <laughs> it's kind of cold. I'm sure you don't know him as that, or do you? Well, the thing is about being the lead singer of a band, everyone wants time. you. Yeah. You know, even though John is there and Nick is there and Roger is there, the press tend to not know about them. The fans do. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say that, right. but the press always want, well, we want the singer. We want that Simon guy. So he always gets the questions. He always gets the appointments. He always gets the, the time required. So sometimes he's uh, so busy. He's like, yeah, hi. Well, don't you think that that's, uh, you know, it's par for the course. It's like, if you're going to be the lead singer of a band, you're going to be successful. That's what's going to happen. If you're the lead actor in a movie, everybody wants to talk to you about it. Exactly. But you know, with, <laughs> with Duran Duran, you know, they've always been the five of them back in the day. Now the four of them, you know, so everyone should want John as well. And everyone should want yeah. Nick and Roger because they're all loved by the fans, but still the press don't know that. So it's always, oh yeah, I want Simon. Right. I hear you. But like you go to Chicago and you talk to Simon. Oh, well, yeah. And then Simon said, we're going out sailing tomorrow. Do you want to come? No. He yeah. asked you to go sailing. Yeah. Did so, you go? Oh, absolutely. Chris and I were on the boat and I, I, I had to hold my back, myself back because I wanted to ask him to sing Rio while we were on the boat. Because oh, that was the video, the music oh, video. Absolutely. But he did wear the striped T-shirt. And if you go to my social media, there's pictures all over it. I didn't post them till yesterday because I was thinking, no, I shouldn't do that. But then they what? posted them on their social media and had this shot of me and Simon and then a picture of me chatting with Roger. And he goes, 24-hour contest. What's Richard Blade and Roger Taylor talking about? So, uh, you know, people could write in and put their posts up. Right? Jesus, man, that's a dream. That's oh, like, yeah. to me, if I was on a boat with Duran Duran, I think life had, you know, that was it. That'd be it for me. It was great. And when I got back from chatting with Roger, because Krista and I kind of just did our own thing. Krista said, oh, I was just uh, with Simon. His lovely wife. His lovely yeah, wife yeah. And uh, Simon was reading poetry to me. Wait a minute. <laughs> Simon LeBon from Duran Duran. What was he saying? He was reading different I poems. I saw you standing <laughs> by them. Exactly. He was doing that it. That is he was, amazing. I know. I was. You have lived a charmed life. I mean, you really have. And also a lot of people, I mean, I've never interviewed someone who's done what you do, what you've done. Uh huh. I mean, it seems like, you know, becoming an actor is just, it's so hard and there's just a small percentage of people. There's so many more talented people that don't make it than the ones that do. Mm -hmm. And... Like the amount of work. I mean, did you know you were going to get into this? What, what, what were you thinking as a child? I mean, you went, eventually went to Oxford and you're a smart guy and all this. But like with your family, what were you thinking you were going to get into? I didn't know. I wanted to do something. Um, I wanted to write for a long time. When I was a kid, I wrote a spec stri a script for Doctor Who. Oh, wow. Did you watch that show? Oh, I love Doctor people Who. People love oh. that freaking show, Doctor There's so many people listening. Yeah. That, so you wrote a spec script for Doctor Who. Yeah, and I sent it into the BBC and heard nothing back. It was like crickets. But, oh. you they know, were like, and, who, and it, Doctor Who gives a shit, Richard? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, unsolicited manuscripts, et cetera, et cetera. They probably dropped it straight into the trash can. Oh, yeah. But I always wanted to uh, write. And then I got into college 
And my one of the roommates we had in the dorm was the college DJ. And he was a great guy, Norm Holmes, but he was not particularly good looking or anything like that. But I noticed when he was DJing, all the girls got around him. And uh, I thought, oh, that's not a bad thing to do. You know. So you did it at first for the girls. Oh, well, absolutely. Yes. Okay, good, Isn't that good. why You're anyone honest. gets into music or any form of I mean, entertainment sure, in a way? The, the yeah. thought of it, thought is, hey, you know, I, I, you know, because I was always, I never got girls. I was the, I was not uh, attractive. I was the smallest kid in my high school. I never went on dates. Never went to dances. And so all of a sudden when I started, I did a play and people were like, oh, you're funny. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, what's this about? I'm getting attention. I need attention. Mm -hmm. Were you a, a little bit of an attention whore like me? Absolutely. Absolutely. And as soon as the people, I wasn't the captain of the rugby. I actually, I was the captain of the swim team, but <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah, but it was very, uh, a, a very big change when I started DJing suddenly all the girls were around and it was like, wow, this is kind of very cool. And I was, I was warming up for Norm because he was in the third year and I was in the first year. Right. And so- What was he playing? What kind of music? What year is it? Take us back. Okay. This would be, oh my God, it's way back. This would be like 1972. Wow. So, the year of my birth. There you go. Uh, you don't. You look good. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, Norm, we'd be playing lots of- Things like free all right now was the floor. All right that was the floor film. Now, yeah. baby, yes. And some other rock like Deep Purple, Smoke sure. on the Water, Dom, Dom, Dom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Northern Soul. And Northern Soul was American R&B that was imported into the UK. And it was a very fast, up-tempo uh, beat. And people loved that as well. And I loved it as well. And Bowie was big as well. Suffragette City. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. That <laughs> packed the floor. And I noticed that and I, I kind of tried to read the crowd and Norm said after a few weeks, he said, do you want to do like the first hour? And I said, sure. So I would play the first hour. And then he goes, you want to do like the first two hours what? of a four hour gig because it was his last year and he wasn't. And you started getting good from this experience. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the hundred, you know, the 10,000 hours thing. Right. And so uh, I was playing the music and making sure the crowd was dancing, but staying away from some of the big songs that Norm would play. Right. So I didn't want to step on his toes. And when he was leaving college, he said, you should take over to DJ. And so uh, the next year I came in and they made me part of the social club, you know, and the college DJ. And it just took off from there? And it just took off from there. And the thing was, we rented the gear every weekend at 10 pounds a time, at, you know, $15 by then. And so I said to them, you know, this is a bit silly that we're paying this money. Why don't we buy some gear? And that way we don't have to pay out the money. And they said, well, how much would it cost? And I said, I'd looked in the uh, trades ahead of time. And I said, it'd be about 300 pounds and we'd have our own gear. So in 30 weeks, it would be paid for. And they went, that makes sense. Uh, can you buy it for us? And I said, yeah. So I said, I'm going to go down to London and I'll buy it and have it shipped up here. And so I went down to um, the end of our hill. We were on North Hinkley Hill. And there was a the motorway going through, the freeway for all the Americans, uh, the, motorway. the motorway going through. <laughs> and I stood there and hitchhiked down to London. And I was there for about 10 minutes. And this Mini Cooper S pulls up. This guy 
says, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm going down to London. I'm going down uh, just off Oxford Street to um, Tottenham Court Road to pick up. That's where all the electronic stores were. Yeah, to pick up some gear. And he goes, oh, I'll hop in. I'll drive you. I've got a, a store on uh, Oxford Street. And so I jump in and he goes, so what's your name? I goes, Richard. And he goes, oh, I'm Richard too. And that's But it great. wasn't Richard Blade then? No. No, it's Richard Shepard. Richard, Richard Shepard. There you right, go. Right, right, right. And uh, so we're, we're driving down to London and he said, what do you do? I'm a DJ, you know. And he goes, okay, great. He goes, I got this record store and everyone tries to sell their independent uh, labels and local bands through my store because HMV won't and WH Smith won't, but I will. And he said, and I figured I should buy like a little recording studio. And that way the bands could not only make the music and then they could sell it in my store. And he said, but I can't afford anything in London. The prices are crazy, but up here in Oxford, uh, there's a lot of places I can buy uh, I've, that I've looked at and I found this. This is a random guy that you just gave you yeah. a ride into London. Yeah, pick me up. But he said, oh, I wanted to pick up a hitchhiker because I, I was so excited to tell him, I think I found, finally found a place. You know, this was before cell phones or anything. And he, he was excited to tell someone that all these weeks and months of looking for a place, he'd found it. He goes, I've, I found this farm that's great and I'm going to turn it into a recording studio and it's actually got enough rooms that people could stay there. And I said, that's great. And he goes, and I'm I'm going to, you know, be able to put some of the bands that want to make music there. Right. They could stay for the weekend and it's it's going to be fantastic. Is it, does it, did this become something big? Well, yeah, it did, kind of. <laughs> you might have heard of the guy. I knew it was coming. So, uh, I knew it was coming. So he was great. And he goes, this is my record store. He points to it. And he goes, but Tottenham Court Road's another mile and a half down. I'm going to drive you all the way. And I go, oh, thank you, man. That's so nice of you. And so we drove past uh, his record store, Virgin Records, and we went down to Tottenham Court Road. And Wait, did it, you just fly over the word Virgin Records? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, <laughs> keep going. Yes. So Richard drops me off and he goes, well, best of luck, man. And I go, best of luck with uh, the farm. And so that was the start for Richard, Richard Branson. Branson. Yeah, I know. Wait, wait, wait. This is a random hitchhiker he picked up was you yeah and so are you still friends well not friends but fast forward to uh <laughs> 2005 and he was on loveline and krista and i were driving back from the king's head in santa love monica line. i've done love line. and i went you know i should stop by and say hello so i pulled off and uh, went over to uh, Culver City where they were doing Loveline from because they were doing it, I think it was on Premier Networks. Is this when you just started First Wave? Yeah, or, yeah. Right? I was just com just come back from the Caribbean right. and I wasn't with K-Rock or anything anymore, but uh, I'd left on great terms with them. Right. I was friends with everyone, great friends with Drew right. and uh, with Adam. So Adam I Carolla. thought, oh, I'll, I'll pop in and you know see if I can say hi to Richard Branson. So on the very first break, they go, yeah, God, you know, Come and say hi to Richard Branson. So he comes out, all long blonde hair and everything. I told him the story and he goes, I don't remember you, but I remember picking up a hitchhiker. So that was you. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I just had to tell someone about it. I was so excited. Come here. And he gives me a hug and he goes, so good to see you again. So I looked at him and I said, so how did it work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. 
I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got Rocket Money. <laughs> like I, I found one. It, I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. And he <laughs> laughed and he couldn't believe it. And then I said, can I get a photograph uh, with you? And he goes, absolutely. And he goes, um, my wife as well. I said, she's, you know, obviously a huge fan of yours. And he goes, come on. 
and he picks up Krista in his arms like that. And we got this picture of him wow. just standing there with the long hair. And I thought, this is a guy who really deserved the success because- A nice a, guy. A nice guy. I know that all the employees of Virgin Air loved him. He looked after the ladies and the pilots and everything and really took care of the passengers. Right. And, you know, he had Virgin Bride going on in oh England as well. I mean, he was just us. He is- just an incredibly smart guy. What differentiated you from all the other DJs? Because you were able to make the the cross over the Atlantic into the States and become this household name and join K-Rock and do all these things, interview these big bands. I read something where you said you were sort of the conduit. Mm-hmm. You were the conduit to all the, the British uh, singers and all these, you know, to, to sort of... Um, give the American people what's going on, the information of what's going on overseas and the the music that's over there. Yeah, I've always tried to be um, on top of what's happening. One of the things that uh, the local BBC that I worked for for a very short time when I was in Oxford, it was BBC Radio Oxford, they had a sign-up that said, engage brain before putting mouth into gear. In other words, know what you're going to talk about. And the other one was, if you've got nothing to say, don't say anything. And so I've always figured that if you've got nothing to say, don't just give the time and the temperature and the name of the song. Know a little about it. The audience deserves that. And so I've always believed that, whether it was working live or working on the radio. And when I was working in Europe, I toured Europe for two and a half years in the clubs before I came over to America. And I really wanted to get into radio. And when I was in Austria, um, working at this club called Magic, this guy came up and he said, "Hey, you know, I have a radio sh- station that I run called uh, Utrai Austria Three, which Utrai. was a Utrai. Ne- have Utrai. you heard of that band with the Austrian uh, Fruer? Yeah, Fruer. Yeah, Fruer. absolutely. Yeah. Doot, doot, and we go yeah. doot. Yeah, though they're doot, doot. they're actually Welsh. Are they Welsh? And they became Underworld." the EDM band. Oh my gosh. And they wanted to screw around with DJs. So they came up with an unpronounceable name. This was long before Prince became Symbol Man. Right. You know, this, <laughs> this, so they came out with F-R-E-U-R. Fruer. Fruer. So ladies and gentlemen, right now I'd like to play a song from Fruer. Fruer. But Doot Doot was, you're absolutely right, brilliant. Brilliant. So I was working in Europe and I got the taste for radio again when I was uh, went on Utrai and I was there for two months every Friday night doing a rock program. And I thought, this is great. And But the thing was, I was a novelty act. I was an English person speaking in English on a German language radio station. And I thought, right. I got to go somewhere where they speak English. And there was hardly any radio happening in England. I mean, unless you were one of the six DJs on BBC Radio One, you weren't getting anywhere. Right, and so that was. So there's not a, really wasn't really a lot of money to be made. No, I, well, d- decent money if you got onto BBC Radio right, One, but, but that's rare. That was it. That that was the only only gig on the whole in the whole country, and so I thought, okay, I make a list. There's America, there's Canada, there's South Africa, there's Australia, and there's New Zealand. They all speak English. One of those countries. So. I put the put it in order, shuffled it around. America number one, Australia number two, New Zealand number three, Canada number four. Only because it's so cold in Canada. 
love yeah. Canada. Love Canadian people as well. One of my favorite countries. Yeah, they don't get mad in Canada. No, they don't. I just they did don't. a gig in Kingsville, yeah. Ontario, uh, two weeks ago. Loveliest people in oh, the world. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah, and South Africa was number five just because of all the racial problems there. Right. And I don't think I could work in a country particularly then that was apartheid, you know, whites over here, blacks over there. I, yeah. I just could not put up with that. So but America was your top America choice. America was the top First choice. choice. And then LA because Hollywood yeah, and sunshine, gotta, blue yeah. skies, California girls, you know, that was yeah. the whole thing. Cause I've always liked ladies. And um, <laughs> yes, so, you have. Yeah, as, I, I, I was, as your book world in my eyes yeah, states. Yeah. So I, I flew we'll over, into, yeah, I flew over to LA and um, for four years, couldn't get arrested. I, so I went back to DJing in clubs and doing mobile discos and stuff like that. And uh, I went, kept going to every radio station in town and they all said uh, sorry you know can't have you it's not going to work but thank you very much for your tape the worst was when i went to kmet and at the time i'd been doing gigs i'd done a, a real real lucky gig i was asked by a, a event coordinator to do a gig for their client and would i meet their client first and would i caravan behind her to the the client's house so i said okay and i followed her and uh, we went up to malibu and we turned off just by paradise cove and went up the canyon and she goes this is barbara and this is richard no not barbara streisand exactly are you kidding me yeah. barbara streisand she was my first big big gig that i did and it was her son's bar mitzvah for uh <laughs> jason gold the son of, of elliot and and Barbara, yeah. and she put on this ink. She was the nicest person. Everyone said afterwards, oh, guy, yeah, she's such a bitch and all this kind of stuff. She couldn't have been nice if you show up and do your job. She treated you like gold. The waitress who served me my food <laughs> was Barbara Streisand. <laughs> I mean, couldn't have been nicer. And she had everyone there. I mean, David Geffen was there. Neil Diamond was there. Were you there. starstruck? Not by her. Because I didn't play her music much. I was in the clubs at the time. If it had been Anita Ward who was there, you can ring my bell. But also, didn't she have that song? And we got nothing to be guilty of. Mm, that yeah. was a little disco-y. Yeah, a little disco-y. And um, <laughs> the she, uh, You Don't Bring Me Flowers with Neil Diamond. Yeah, Neil Diamond. So I play that in the ballad section. But obviously, I knew who she was. I knew right. she was one of the biggest singers in the world. Oh, yeah. But there were so many other people there. Um, Larry Hagman was there. And Dallas. so, yeah, and that was the great thing. He enjoyed the party so much. He took one of my business cards, and then I did the party at his house for the rap party for season one of Dallas. So wait a minute. You started doing so people, word of mouth, are you saying? Word of mouth. Word of mouth, Richard Blade. He's the well, guy. Dick, Dick Shepard at the time. Dick Shepard. And then Shepherd. you saw a, a movie, Ryan, well, you might have heard of this, called Blade Runner. No, Well, I saw it ad <laughs> advertised, you know, because the whole thing was – I did all these parties, and then I did one for Zsa Zsa Gabor. Oh, yeah. And that was up in the, the hills in one of the stilt houses. Right. And there were two people there that I was just thrilled to meet. One of them was my all-time favorite movie actor, and I'd never met him before. And the amazing thing was I met him again two weeks later, never, never again. Who? He came up to me. I, I, I saw him, and I said, uh, you know, could I tell you something kind of weird? He said, why? What? And I said, I, I went to school with a wet underarm because of you for about three weeks. And he said, why would that be? And I said, because 
my James Bond water pistol shoulder holster kept leaking. And he goes, you know, I had one of those as well. I used to collect all of the memorabilia from the Bond movies. Sean season. Connery. I know. And he was incredible. He was every- you see, you're meeting your heroes and they're nice. Uh, uh, but That's they, rare. And they were everything you wanted them to be. That's he was, rare. He, he looked met like- a lot of assholes, Richard. Yeah, I've met a lot of assholes. You know, if he looked like if he punched you, you were going down. He looked Tough like- Tough guy, real he, man. He, he looked like Bond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And the other person, I was downstairs in the game room while everyone was upstairs eating. And uh, they cleared out the pool table and everything. I put in my DJ gear. So I'm sitting there just kicking back, doing nothing. And this little guy comes in and comes up to me and he says, uh, could, I, could I go through your records, please? And I, I said, sure, of course you can. I want to guess this one. And he, he looks through his, the records and I said, you know, I, I have the new Victory album. They, they didn't mail it to me. He goes, you do, could, could you, could you play, could you put it on? Cause we're getting ready for the tour. And so I said, anything that you want to hear? And he goes, yeah, shake, shake your body down to the ground. He said, I'm, I'm getting the dance, <laughs> dance routine down. So he gets out and he start. I put it on and he starts dancing to it. And I'm like, wow. And he, he goes, can you play it again? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you have a cassette player? And I said, I, sh- I do, absolutely. I'm not, I can't do an impression of him, so I'm not going to try. And I said, absolutely. And he goes, I, I just came from the studio with Quincy. So I got. I- not Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. And he goes out to his limo and he comes in with a cassette and he goes, we just put this together today. And so I, I play it for him. And he goes, stop, stop, stop. He goes, play that part again. And I, I go, okay. And he goes, stop, stop, stop. Can, can you play it again? And then when I point to you, turn it up loud. I said, okay. So I play it again. Turn it up loud. And he goes, horns aren't loud enough. Horns aren't loud enough on that. I got to tell Quincy the horns aren't loud enough. And so I'm listening and he's playing. I'm playing rock rock with you or, and I can't remember which one, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough from his uh, album. Uh, but he was just on top of the music. He was listening to every single He was note. obsessed. Yeah, he, but, but focused. He wasn't one of these artists that let any other people do it for him. And then he would get out there and dance to this song. I'm like, wow. You know, because I grew up with the Jackson 5, and he yeah. wasn't Michael Jackson at the time. He was just a member of the Jackson 5. And I, this was a band that had saved my ass so many times when I was DJing, you know, put on dancing machine. Yeah, that would get people the floor, going, right. you know, and uh, one bad, you know, one bad apple, don't spoil the whole bunch of girl and all this kind of stuff. And ABC, I loved all that music. Yeah. And then um, afterwards, 
he took my card oh, and he God. said, would you do some parties for me? And I said, sure. So I go to his house on uh, Havenhurst in Encino. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I DJed about 12 parties for Michael Jackson. Did he pay well? He paid well. And then I, <laughs> I did the uh, launch party for the tour. And I had to be screened by the FBI. So I'm glad I had a green card at the time because uh, the Jackson 5 and myself were, um, it was the Jacksons, but they did the S like a five because they'd left ah, Motown yes. and gone to uh, Epic. Uh, we were all in the um, bank vault of this bank that was on Wilshire Boulevard. And now it's like a clothing store, Saint Laurent, but right across from the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. And the idea was we were in the bank vault and they were breaking out of the bank vault and they had entertainment tonight there and all the TV cameras. And then I had my fog machine. So they, <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. And they, they tried to put a, give us a walkie talkie, but the vault door was too thick for the radio Wouldn't signal, work. but the, they weren't locking the door. So it was opened slightly. So that we had an XLR cable go through. And when they, gave me the signal it was 30 seconds before they would open the vault door and that's when i dropped the dry ice into the fog machine fill the thing with fog turn my one laser on back then it was just a red one. dot just like right you know like pong back in the early days going up and down it was just a red laser going through there and they opened the thing and the fog came out and the jacksons came dancing come on it. so it was great and i was having a great time were you seeing any like uh you know you're at all these parties and you're you're, you're djing all these parties and all these huge celebrities are saying hey you have a card and calling you and you're making the rounds and becoming a name. Right. Did you see a lot of drug use? Did you see a lot of darkness? Did you see a lot of craziness? I, I saw a lot of craziness in the fact that there were a lot of women there going after the artists, but the drug Who use. Who's the big one with the, with the women? <sighs> well, the Jacksons always attracted a lot. They always of had tons of women going yeah, in now. Yeah. And Neil Diamond, actually, at Barbara Streisand's party, there was a lot of hangers-on going up trying to get close to Neil because he was a lot younger. He was Did he like it? He didn't really give them any time of day. You know, he was kind of pushing them away. You know? Oh, my like, gosh. Yeah. Neil. But, but I was getting all this publicity, and I got the front page of the Los Angeles Times, a picture of me DJing with the Jacksons behind, and I, I was thrilled with that. So I put this whole uh, package together with an audition tape, and all my press cuttings and the fact I'd done radio in England and in Austria. And I went back out to the radio stations. And again, they shot me down. All of them. All of them shot me down. And the worst one was KMET. Well, they, 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 they say anything? I, I passed her this. And I said, look, I just finished this, starting off the Jackson's tour and it's front page and everything like that. And I, so I'm, I'm willing to do anything. You know, I'll, I'll work overnight for a month for free just so you can hear me. Uh, you know, you tell me what, what I can do. And the program director was female and she pushed everything back at me. And she said, you'll never work in this town with that accent. And then just turned around and just didn't even want to talk. What was her name? Do you remember? I'm not going to say Sam's name. She had a guy's name. But I ran into her three years later after my talk. After and you I was, said, fuck you, I was, I was, Sam. I didn't actually. I she came up to me and uh, she was, uh, I'd been let go by KMET. Actually, this was 87, and so I was really peaking. And uh, she came up to me, and it was uh, we were doing a grand opening in Beverly Hills. And she goes, Gosh, you've been doing so well, haven't you? <laughs> and I said, Yeah, what are you doing now? She said, Well, I'm not in radio at the moment, uh, I'm, I'm a secretary. 
And I looked at her and I went, oh, no, but you'll you'll do well. You'll do well. Kill it was, it was success. All, just all being I nice could, about all it. You don't I need do. to. I had, right? had to hold it back. I just wanted to. Because things turned yeah, around for you yeah. quickly. Because I've never forgotten that to this day. Because I walked out of KMET. Uh, and was this 1981? No, this was 19... End of 79. 79. Uh, I walked out and it was at Metro Media Square and I walked out onto the boulevard there and I looked up at the sign that said KMET that was written on the antenna and I was like, fuck you. I, yeah. One of these days I am going to get into radio and um, I'll show you. And then uh, K-West, which is now Power, uh, 105.9 K-West, um, they were having a contest for the best unknown DJ. And so... They had, you had to send in a 10-minute tape. So I put one together, and at the end of the 10-minute tape, I did a remix of Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall, which I made just using a reel-to-reel. -reel, you know? Do you still have it? No, but oh, I, could, I, could make, I could do it again so much easier now. <laughs> yeah, take you 10 minutes now. Because it's digital, you know, and I could do 40 tracks. Right. But then I was w working with a two-track oh, TI. And it took you days. Days and days. Like, I, I thought either they're going to throw that in the trash because it's, you know, Pink Floyd, you know, who's messing with Pink Floyd or they're going to like it. And they actually played it on the air. And then they said, instead of one winner, we have two winners for the best unknown DJ. And they picked two winners. And I was one of the two and got $10,000. You and needed that? No, I didn't. You were I was, doing well. I was, I was doing well, but I, I'm not going to say no to it. And I got the most important thing. I got an hour on the air with J.J. Jackson, who went over to MTV a year and a half later. With K-West. With K-West. Right. And he, again, couldn't have been nicer. He goes, play whatever you want. And I put together a playlist knowing what they liked. You know, So there was ACDC in their brand new um, track called You Shook Me All Night Long. Oh, my God. Yeah, and 38 Special and bands so like that. So you played one hour. I played one hour. And that went off with Gangbusters. And that went off great. Uh, my girlfriend at home taped it for me, but JJ taped it. He taped the whole show and he gave me also a skim tape, which was only my voice and the first three seconds of music because that's what you send into a radio station because uh, they know the songs. They don't want to sit through it. Ryan didn't know any of this shit. I don't, yeah. I don't think I knew any of this yeah. shit. And so I sent that tape out and I sent it to San Diego, to uh, Santa Barbara, to San Francisco, to Bakersfield. And uh, two days after I sent it out, I got a call from Bakersfield saying, uh, we'd like you to come out because I think we want to uh, work with you. And I said, okay. So I drove out to Bakersfield to Magic 98, and it was a hard rock station. And they said, we want to hire you as the nighttime guy from uh, 6 to Midnight and the music director. And I'm like, holy shit, the music director? I'm Disco Dick. <laughs> and they want me to, <laughs> they, they, they want me to program a hard rock station and i said so w what's the deal and they said well throughout the day we get harder at night we really rock so we rock so hard at night you can't play stairway to heaven that's too mellow and i said so what's the criteria for me adding music and they took out ted nugent's double live gonzo album and they dropped the needle in the middle of wang dang sweet poontang and they said that's as mellow as we get Wow. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it for a year. It was my goal, radio. So I was at KNAC, and so I went back to DJing in clubs before I did the overnight. It was a DJ in a club from 8 until 11, and then on the air from midnight till 6 at KNAC. And one of the clubs, uh, La Hot Club in um, Encino, they decided they were going to buy 
commercial time to advertise it because it was going well. And I was playing this crossover music that was just coming in called New Wave that my dad was sending me from England. And it was getting busy. And so they said, well, we're going to advertise it. So, well, KNAC plays New Wave. And they said, no, it's got no signal. Can't be heard in the valley. We're going to advertise on this other station called K-Rock. So, um, you were the first person to play new wave at K-Rock? One, one of the first, one I mean, K-Rock, K-Rock was playing it, but yeah. I was playing it in the clubs. So they said, will you go and do the spot at K-Rock, the commercial? Because otherwise we have to pay their DJs like $500 to voice the spot. Right. If you do it, we, we save 500 bucks because we're not going to pay you anything. So I said, yeah, sure. You know, cause it just brings a crowd in for me and keeps my job going. So I, I went to uh, K-Rock and I cut the commercial and um, the program director, it, the production director, it was really funny, so casual. I just walk into the production room. I said, I'm here to cut commercial. Okay, go on in. Production re- director's there, John Logic. And he said, oh, you're going to cut commercial? Okay, I'll go for lunch. I'll be back. Walks out. All this gear's there. I could have been Joe Blow off the street, you know, walking out with TAC recorders. But I cut the commercial, put it onto a car, labeled it. I copied the way they did their labels and everything. He came back and he goes, Ah, oh, it was really good. That's that great. Thank you so much. So the spot starts airing and the morning show, which was Romando and Evans heard it. And they said, oh, who's the English guy? He should do some drops for us. So I came back out and I did these drops for um, Go to Bed with April. She was the nighttime girl, right. real, real good looking. She'd been in Playboy and everything. You slept with her? No, I, no, I didn't. I, 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 I would have, but no, I'd, I'd try not to at work. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. said, go to bed with April, wake up with Romando and Evans. Now, then all the jocks wanted me to do drops. And then uh... they, uh, these other clients of sales, uh, the salespeople wanted the English accent. So I started doing commercials all over K-Rock. So now I'm on KNAC, but my voice is all over K-Rock. And then I get a call. You've got to meet with the program director of K-Rock. And I thought, oh God, he's going to pull everything and tell me I can't do it. So I walk in and he said, we're doing this um, holiday vacation in Hawaii. And I did this deal with the DJs. If they could sell 20 spots, they go as well because K-Rock had no money and they couldn't afford to give the DJs paid vacations. Right. But if they could sell 20 spots on a plane to Hawaii, they could get two weeks off. And he said, so it's sold out. So we're getting local celebrities in to cover the, uh, the uh, air shifts. We've got Elvira coming in. We've got Danny Elfman coming in from Oingo Boingo. He's going to be Moscow Eddie. We've got Mike Ness from uh, Social D coming in. But we got this open spot from nine to noon and we need someone and we figured you'd be a good novelty because you've got an English accent. Would you do it? I said, yeah, two weeks. That sounds great. He goes, but I can't pay you. I said, that's fine. And you have to quit K and EC because I can't have you on both. Boy, that's a test. And I said, okay. I said, are you going to Hawaii? And he goes, I know where you're going with this. He said, Here's the deal. It's taken me a year and a half to put this staff together. And we're the Saturday Night Live of radio. He said, there isn't a bad shift. Every one of my DJs is exactly where they should be, and they're great. He said, they're all going to have a job when they come back, and I'm afraid I won't have a position for you. And I looked at him, and I said, Rick, when you hear me on the air, you'll give me a job. And he said, okay. 
And so I, I, I went, I went on the air, I quit KNEC and I loved KNEC so much. And the people there, Norm McBride, the morning guy, and Jimmy Christopher, the, the uh, program director, I didn't want to steal any audience from but them. But you did. Because they had a little, only a little signal. So I changed my name from Dick Shepard, and I didn't know what to call myself. And even I went on the air that day, and I still didn't know what to call myself. And I'm flipping desperately through the Los Angeles Times, and I see Robert Hilburn, the critic. And I'm like, Richard Hilburn, no, no, no. And I wanted to go back to Richard from Dick. Richard Hilbert, no, no, that's not going to work. It's as bad as Richard Shepard. I want something else. And I see Blade Runner is going to open in two weeks. I didn't know what the movie was about. No one knew. It hadn't opened yet. It was going to open in two weeks' time. So I thought, Richard Blade, that would work great. <laughs> so I, this was when newspapers were yay big, right? So I drop it on the floor, and the song's finishing. And I come on the air, and I go, uh, that was Flock of Seagulls and Telecommunication, but the fans call it Telecom. Uh, by the way, this is not Jed the Fish. This is me. I'm sitting in for Jed the Fish. He's in Hawaii right now. My name is, and I'd forgotten because I was so panicked that everyone in <laughs> everyone in LA was listening. I looked down and the papers folded. Oh, I was going to call myself Richard Runner. Sorry. Oh, because Blade Runner. Blade, first, Blade Richard Runner. Runner. And I was going to steal the RR of Rolls Royce. I thought that would be a great thing, you know, right. and all that. Richard but Runner. But you forgot. Yeah, but I forgot. And I look down and it's folded and it just says Blade. And I went, I'm Richard Blade. And this is OMD Electricity. And I started the song and I went, oh, Richard Blade, I guess I'm stuck with that. So that's how that came And about. that was it. And that you was, worked for K-Rock for how many years? 18? I, I worked for 18 years. I gave my notice in February of uh, 2000 because Chris and I were using Y2K as the out. We bought a house in St. Martin in 1997. Were you burnt out at that point? I, was, I wasn't really burnt out. I just wanted to do something different. I grew up in the south of England. I always loved scuba diving. I used to make my own wetsuits and stuff like that. But uh, the water in England is cold. Even cold. Even <laughs> the colder. air is cold. Everything's cold. And uh, it's not that clear. On a good day, maybe I could see my hand at the end of my arm, you know, underwater. I wanted to teach scuba in the clearest, warmest But you wanted to retire. Yeah, from, and you weren't from, old. Well, from radio. Yeah, well, I wasn't even 50. You know, I was in my That's four- a big step to just say, hey, I'm leaving K-Rock and I, I want to just retire and, and go to the, or at least go to the Caribbean or whatever. But well, when, if I didn't do it then, when am I going to do it? Because we're all, you know, on this one-way direction. You know, we're all going to- right? Yeah, unfortunately- you can't go back in time. And I'd done everything I wanted to do. I'd done mornings in LA. I'd done a syndicated radio show. I'd done half a dozen movies. I'd done TV, both hosting and acting. And I was a crappy actor. I, I was no Lex Luthor. I'll tell you that. I, <laughs> but I, you were done. I, I, with I, that. I was done. And I, I thought, I've, not because I didn't like K-Rock, but because I wanted to do something different. I wanted to experience it because my biggest nightmare would be waking up one day and seeing white tiles above my head and a bunch of leads and cords and drips going into my arms and then going, why didn't I try that? You know, you don't usually regret that you're getting somewhere. Now you're getting somewhere. I think that's the, you know, we talk about that a lot is like, we all have a purpose. And sometimes, I mean, a lot of times you have to find your purpose. And 
one thing is I think people we we get we have jobs and sometimes we're like, oh, we're making money and we're making a living and we're paying for the bills. But I think it's so important, whether you're making money at it or not, to find something you love, so that passion on the side, mm-hmm. that something that you can do that just keeps the fires burning, the yeah. fire inside you burning. And and so, you know, I, I commend you because it's that's a big step to just say, hey, you know, I, I've got now's the time I'm still young. And I'm going to change gears. I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm going to take off for a while and and reinvent myself. But it was something I had to do. It was right. Yeah. And if you have to do it, you just rip yourself apart inside because you're regretting. Why didn't I try that? You know. Yeah. And you. Yeah. It's like seeing that hot blonde on a Friday night. If you don't go up to her and say something. You regret you it all day, all day Saturday. Or you regret <laughs> asking her and then she says, fuck off. But, but at least, <laughs> One or the other. At least you gave it a go. At least you tried. Yeah. yeah. Um, you became really famous during this time with K-Rock. It was like the biggest station out there. You're doing this new wave. You're doing music you love. You're introducing... Um, you know, one of the biggest music scenes in the in the world to British music, new right. wave music, alternative music. And in doing so, you were sort of like I said before, the conduit. Did you did you you formed re- huge relationships? I mean, I saw an interview where you're, you know, after Andrew Fletcher of Depeche Mode mm-hmm. passed away and uh, God rest his soul, you you, uh, you you knew him. And, you know, you were texting with Martin Gore, who wrote all the Depeche Mode songs and still does. And and he's texting you right back. And you have this relationship with so many people. And, you know, you you dated the beautiful Terry Nunn from Berlin, Take mm-hmm. My Breath Away, and you had a passionate relationship with her. Um, all these relationships, were you, did you ever get to a point where you mixed up in drugs? Were you mixed up in the scene? Were you drinking a lot? Did you always have a good head on your shoulders? Or were you, uh, were you enjoying it like everybody else and getting in too much, getting I, too deep? I never did drugs i drank i uh, two times i mean i did cocaine twice uh i never with who oh, one time <laughs> uh it was with the record company geek and uh a couple of bands in riverside all was, right yeah, the other time i was doing a tv show called mv3 and we at one point had the psychedelic furs there on stage and a hundred dancers and the psychedelic furs, this was in June, and the sun was baking what down. What year? In June of 1983. Okay. They'd done their sound check, and for an hour, they were just standing on stage, and the dancers were milling around. And the floor manager finally said to me, he goes, if we don't roll tape, we're going to lose the band. He said, we've got to do something. I said, well, why isn't he rolling tape, the guy upstairs, you know, the producer? And he says, fuck, you know what he's like. He said, go, you go up. And I walk in. And to me, in hindsight, and I'm sure it wasn't this big, there was a mound of coke, like in Scarface, on his desk. I'm sure it's probably fist size, but to me, it was you know a small Everest. And next to it, a snub nose 38, because the Teamsters had been coming around repossessing some of the cameras, and they'd already taken out the crane. Right. And so uh, I said, "We have to roll tape, or we lose the band." And he goes. Listen, Daddy, because he's and his vocal tick. Everyone was Daddy. Listen, Daddy, I'll, I'll roll tape if you do a line with me. I said, I can't do that. I said, I, I got to be on camera. He goes, you need it. It'll make you better. I'm like, if I do a line, will you roll tape? And he said, I'll roll it if you do a line. So I said, okay. And he 
gets this, I don't know, 520 or whatever it was rolled up. He does a sniff first. And he goes, so I go down and <laughs> do it. And I'm like, I, I'm expecting ring, rainbows and unicorns. And all I get is I'm grinding my back teeth because I'm naturally hyper anyway. I'm like, okay, let's roll tape. And he goes, do another line. I said, that wasn't the deal. You said, I'd do a line <laughs> and we'd roll tape. And he go, why don't you get the fuck out of here and you tell him to roll tape yourself. You can do that, right? And I went, okay. And I went down. I said, all right, roll tape. And then from then on, it was uh, me and a guy called Peter Facer. You know, I think you met yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That would call all the roles because uh, the producer director didn't do it. And two months later, the uh, show went off the air. But you, Jesus, but you never really, I mean, look, you got into bands reunited. You helped them, right. which is one of my favorite shows where they find members of the band and they get them back together for maybe one last show. And some of those bands actually continued playing right. for a while to this day. ABC. Dramarama um, Berlin. Dramarama Berlin. Uh, yeah, who else? Flock of Seagulls. Well, yeah. he ended up touring most by himself. But um, you've done so much. You've written so many. You've written like seven books. Yeah. You're getting a Hollywood star of fame yeah. in a year. You, uh, there's a Richard Blade day that just happened, mm-hmm. which was emotional. And you were in the in the courtroom and they gave you the thing yeah. and you were like, you know, I mean, can you believe, uh, I mean, do, when you look back at all the things you did and a lot of times I say it's like sort of happenstance or it's luck as a commodity of preparation meets opportunity. And sort of that's how my life was. I was like this and they go, oh yeah, oh, well, uh, okay. And then somebody remembers you and then you get something and then that something leads to something or nothing. And it's just sort of like you just hang around mm-hmm. and you keep going. And it seems like you've worked so hard to get where you are and you continue to work hard and your work is so important to you. Do you now look back and if you were under those, um, you know, in that hospital room with all the things hooked up to you, would you say, hey, I've lived a great life. This is this is what I've wanted to do. And I've lived my dreams. Yes, I would. I mean, we all have minor regrets when you've tried and failed. I mean, I, I wrote a script actually for a TV show that I loved, but I actually never was able to get it to the TV show in time. But I watched this show I have them all on DVD and I wrote this script and I thought it was really, really good. And it it opened fantastic with this fire bearing down on Smallville and (laughs) Superboy putting it out. What? And it was all put together by Lex. Swear to God, one of these days I'm going to have to get, get you the script. Please. Because I'd written for a sci-fi show before uh, for UPN before it became CW called seven days, a time travel show. Um, But no, I I loved Smallville and I have to say you or you, thank you, you and your dad, best two actors. He made me better. He made me a better actor. Fantastic. Thank you. Never missed, never missed an episode. No, no, it's, it's absolutely true. That's that's why it's so cool. I'm got to know you as a friend and I'm sitting here today because uh, you, Chris and I would never miss Smallville. We just loved it. I love that. It was fantastic. It's just so it's, I love it. I get little, uh, yeah. Stop, stop. I know there were certain episodes because I wrote, when I wrote for seven days, you know, like in the middle of the season, you just, there's a couple of what I used to call throwaway episodes, but some of the episodes of Smallville. Some of them were oh fantastic. I always God. say that there's some that are oh. like, we're, we're doing a, a rewatch podcast now and it's like some of the episodes, I'm like, okay, this is the show oh. that I'm proud to be on. I mean, there were some really great ones. Oh, when Park Kent is being buried. Oh, oh yeah. and the snow oh. and then the well, black well, and don't white. Don't go oh. there because people, oh. are, no, no, people oh. are watching. No, it is. 
But anyway, back to you. Yeah. But you, to you. you best Lex Luthor. But thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I I, I appreciate that. I, I really do. James I Gunn. So. Are you listening? Yeah, he's Gunn. listened and he's yeah. uh, I love him. But um now I want to tap in just a little bit. Now, some of the people you've met, like well, who would you call friends that you could text of the big eighties bands that we love? Like what are what are some of the people that you could you could text and they would respond? Um, John Taylor from Duran. Yep. Simon. Obviously Terry. Terry and I Terry Nunn. Yeah, she played uh last uh, yeah. last night in Perth, Australia. So I texted her again on Thursday and I said Hope you're not flying in coach because it is so long. Plus, Perth <laughs> is another five hours. Oh, after yeah, no, Cindy. I've done yeah. that. But, uh, but, but Terry Nunn, lead singer of Berlin, one of the most beautiful people inside out human beings. You know, if you don't know her, take my breath away. And they have mm-hmm. loads of songs riding on the Metro. I love the Metro. Mm-hmm. Like, so many songs. But you, how long did you guys date? About a year and a half. A year and a half. And yeah. it was intense. Oh, well, I asked her to marry me after six months. And what'd she say? She said, yes, but not right now. And then we broke up on the night she asked me to marry her. And it it was something. Not good. No. It, and there... We actually have a biopic in development right now uh, about that one chapter in uh, The World in My Eyes, the chapter called No More Words. In your book. And, on, yeah. uh, but of course, um, everything slammed to a halt in May. Why? Uh, was, there was something called the writer's strike. Oh, no, no, no. I, don't <laughs> yeah. mean, I, I didn't mean that. Yeah. I mean, why did, why did your relationship with Terry suddenly stop? I was cheating. You were. Yeah. And you admit I, I, that openly in the book. Uh, oh, oh, very openly. I, I was, as my wife said when she read the book, because I said to her, I've got to be completely honest about everything in here. Uh, she said, oh, no, go ahead. Everyone's got a pass. Don't worry. And then Krista read the book. She's like, oh, my God, you were such a man whore. And I said, yeah, I was. And I, I was so in love with Terry. I mean, she literally did take my breath away every time I saw her. But when she went on tour, I was, you know, the, the hot DJ in town kind of thing. Right. And there were so many women. Um, someone I worked with used to say, when you're a DJ, the moment you put your lips against a, a microphone on a popular radio station, you change and become Brad Pitt. <laughs> you know and, and, and back then especially yeah because that was the only way you got your music yeah and so i mean i was screwing around all the time but the moment terry came back there was not another wasn't another person in the world never mind another woman in the world but she found out but she showed up at a gig of mine and i was with uh my co-host from mv3 and we were having a an affair and i was djing and a uh, guy, six foot tall guy in pink spandex with wings on his back came down to the club and he goes, hello, we've got a message. And I said, oh, look, singing telegram, I, I guess. Uh, who's the message for? And I'm doing this on the mic, you know, could might make it fun for everybody. Oh, it's, boy. And he goes, it's for you. And I went, okay, what is it? And he goes, no, it's upstairs. And so I went, okay, because we're at this club called Mr. J's underneath a Chinese restaurant. Jesus. And so I said, okay, Hot Toddy's going to play the music for a little bit, the club DJ. Uh, I'm going upstairs. Anyone want to come? And so about 100 people came upstairs, and we go into the parking lot of um, of Mr. J's in El Monte. 
And it was something that Terry had planned to do two weeks before when she'd got back for three days off tour. And we went to see Sparks together at the Hollywood Bowl, at the uh, Greek theater. But she couldn't get permission for it, for what she wanted to do because of where it is. But in Almonte, they have a private airport right next door. So you can use planes there. You can't just fly over the Greek. Right. And so um, I said to the singing telegram, okay, what's the message? And as I'm saying that, Karen's got her arm around me and kiss, giving me kisses and stuff like that. And he goes, message is up there. And so I look up and there's a plane that's just flying around Mr. J's in the big parking lot and it's sky riding across its wings. I'm ready to jump, marry me, Terry. And I went, just tell me she's not here. He goes, she's over there. And I look and I see Terry's car and the door is opening and Terry is wearing the wedding dress that she was wearing in the masquerade video. And she's halfway out the car and sees Karen kissing me and suddenly realizes, oh my God, you know, all the times I've been with Karen and Terry slammed the door shut and I just ran over to her car and held onto the handle of the, the car and I'm screaming, I love you, I love you, I'm so sorry, I love you. And she just drove off with tears in her eyes and the plane just kept flying over saying, I'm ready to jump, marry me. And the crowd's going, was that Terry Nunn? And, uh, and you're numb. Your whole I, body's I, yeah, numb. I, I, just, I just said to Peter, who was with me as well, take Karen home now. And we had a limo because I was doing the mornings and uh, the club went till midnight so I could sleep in the car. And the, he goes, how do you get home? I said, I'll find a way, I'll find a way. And the, so Terry goes off one way, the limo goes off the other and the plane is just making fun of me by just flying around saying, I'm ready to marry you. Did you ever talk to her again? Not, I for, mean, not for seven years. And the next time I talked to her, I and this part's not in the book actually, next time I talked to her was on a Saturday uh, and it was, I was doing uh, my shift on K-Rock and it was, I think probably August and I was in shorts, tank top, baseball hat, unshaven and the, the phone rings and it wasn't the hotline she didn't know the hotline at that time she was out of music she hadn't she quit the band in 86 and went through a bad bad period and uh, she called me up on the request line i go hi she goes it's terry and i went oh my god terry how are you how are you she goes I, i'm great uh, i'm i want to see you today and i said oh, 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 where when and she goes any as soon as you get off the air and i said where do you want me to meet me and she said in beverly hills the place is a jag dealership now it used to be a restaurant and i, I said okay I'll, I'll go home and change she said no come come as you are i said i can't come as i am i'm i mean can't go to a restaurant she goes it's not just a restaurant it's my wedding i was like oh my god okay and she's i said but i'm i'm in shorts and a tank top and a baseball hat and she said, I don't care. I want you at my wedding. And so I drove to Beverly Hills and went to her wedding in, in shorts and a baseball hat. Did you cry? I did. And her mother and I danced. And she said to me, we always hoped it would be you. And it's not the, it's not the husband she's with now. Right. It was her first husband. It only lasted about Jeez. 18 months. But uh, it was it was hard. And then she told me a few things and I apologized to her and for 
the next probably 10 years, every time I would see her, I would say, I am so sorry. I am so oh fucking sorry for what I did to you. Because what I did was inexcusable. But it looks as though, you know, it takes a lot of guts to write in a book saying, I was a man whore. I did this. I was, and I didn't like what I did, but I found my way. Yeah. And I knew I was wrong. I knew when I was doing it. You didn't deny I was it. Wrong. No. But it was, little head was thinking more than big head, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was really, it was awful what I did to her. Awful. But, uh, We'll we'll see. You know, I mean, it, they're you know talking about the uh, biopic, and they really want to get into that chapter. But wow. she went through a bad period, and you know, I really screwed up one of the most beautiful women on the planet for a number of years, and that I can't forgive myself for. I can forgive myself for losing her, and for her losing me, but I can't forgive myself for putting her in such a bad position mentally. Oh. You know, I know. Cause she, well, you know what? She forgives you. Yeah, she does, but. But you don't forgive I, yourself. I, no, yeah. No, not for that. No. Yeah. I don't. She was, she's a great, great human being. A great. She is. Human. Did being. you ever go through depression? Did you ever, you know, we talk about that, but did you ever go through like uh, hard times where you need to see a psychiatrist or talk to them about, you know, your issues? And because we talk about mental health here a lot, mm -hmm. but did you ever have to deal with that or did you ever. No. I, no. I didn't. I had one very short bout, very short, couple of hours, but I put a gun against my head in in that very short period of time. And that was when I ended up marrying Karen. And it was a good marriage, but not a, not a passionate one, if you know what I mean. Right. And um, I came home one day and there was no note, no nothing but some of her clothes were gone and the house felt different. And so I made uh, about three calls and on the third call, I got her sister and she said, Karen's um, in Santa Barbara with her mother, doesn't want to speak to you for a week. She wants to get her head together. We never argued. It was out of the blue. It would be like you and me on stage at the palace and suddenly me turning around and hitting you with a baseball bat. Saying, fuck you know, off. Yeah, fuck off. And you were like, well, where? Hey, hey, hang on. What yeah. happened? I had no clue what caused anything. And this just and, hit you hard. Uh, it hit me so hard. And I called a couple of other people. I called Peter, got his machine. There was no one I could talk to at the time. And I was just spinning. I mean, literally, almost like vertigo. And I'd bought a shotgun for Karen to have it uh, as protection in the house and because I was doing gigs. People knew when I was gone because I advertise it on the radio. Right. And I'm not into guns. I'm not a big gun person, but I figured a shotgun, you don't have to aim it and it makes a lot of noise. So if someone did break yeah, in, Karen could it. just you know pull the trigger and point it roughly in the direction and um, maybe make contact with a couple of the pellets, but the noise would, but you got I mean, that dark. That, that you, dark that I got the gun and put it against my head. Were you really and, thinking and about I doing was, this? I was going to pull pull the trigger, but my I had a dog, a little dog called Angel. And Angel lay on my foot and started to howl like she knew what was going on. And I, w I thought, if I kill myself, what happens to Angel? Is she going to starve to death? 
maybe I should put some food down. So I put the gun down first and then I thought, what the fuck am I doing? How would my mum handle this? You know, she's lost dad. How would she? Devastated. Yeah. And, and that was like, that was the darkest I've ever been. And I've never been there before. I've never been there since. But for that two to three hours, it was, wow, didn't like it. <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> Under, understatement of the year i didn't like it yeah you know well you should have seen someone a therapist and talked I didn't, to someone. i didn't need to afterwards really no i didn't need to i've i mean i would go to a therapist i mean a lot of people do and and get reward from it but i'm i've never been in that position where i thought i i can't get through this myself um and if i if I had those thoughts again, I would definitely go to right, a therapist. Right. I, I would a hundred percent. When Karen and I got back together, uh, just over a week later, we went to a, a therapist together, a marriage therapist. We went two times and she said, I don't see anything wrong with you as a couple. You know, you don't argue. You seem to really relate to each uh, other. And, uh, but something inside was not clicking. With us. I know about that. I know about being in something where, you're like, this person's great and she's this and that. And I, everything should lead you to think that everything's fine. And this is, but then there are a few things that you just don't feel mm -hmm. or you're not feeling, or you're just like, you can't force it. And there's no rhyme or reason. It's just a feeling that you're just like, you can't make something work that really just ultimately isn't there. Right. It's missing, if, if you're missing a big component you know, the, the smallest thing that seems so trivial could be, that's it. Mm -hmm. All these other little things I could deal with, but this one is just like, I just, I, I know, I know what you're saying. I know that. Yeah. I know the feeling. And I've been fortunate with Krista. We've never had that. We, we have the same kind of relationship that I had with Karen where, where we, ne we hardly ever argue. Yeah. I mean, we might say, oh, honey, come on, do this. Oh yeah, you're right. Or you're yeah. wrong or whatever but we never get into arguments but um i don't know what triggered it with karen i've got ideas what might have triggered it but yeah it, it's a shame yeah it, it's well a shame. i'm glad you didn't do it that day um, so me, was me. angel at the time angel was a great dog too but listen i mean i could talk to you forever and i you know um then i want you to come back because this is you have so many stories it's just like i could just sit here and listen to you for days but the book rolled in my eyes you also have the, the other book what is it Tell me. Okay, I have. You have seven books. Have, lockdown have, interviews. Yeah, I have three nonfiction. Right. And then four novels, and I'm writing my fifth novel right now. I have Jesus. lockdown interviews, which were done during COVID, when the bands had nothing to do but talk. Like with Boy George, six hours we chatted. You know, so wow. I mean, it just just it was incredible because normally when you get a band, you have 15 minutes because they yeah. got access Hollywood. But you waiting. got deep. Yeah, and so it was it was fantastic. Um, not COVID, but the, the, the lockdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the unlocked interviews were bands raring to go and get back out on the road, like Blondie and Roxy music and people like that. Wow. And that's in the unlocked. And then, uh, the four novels, one of them is alternate history. Uh, but one is uh, 2000 years ago, a group of Romans survive a, uh, Atlantic hurricane, but are washed up on this strange shore which is actually North Carolina. But you can't say that in the book because it wasn't North Carolina. Right, right, right. And they encounter a group of Native Americans who weren't Native Americans. They were natives at the time. 
And these 45 of the heart, most hardened warriors in the world learn a different way, uh, a way of peace and a way of love until a great evil comes. And then the Romans have to decide, do we go try and go back to Rome or do we stand and fight? Jesus, how do and, you... And it's uh, it, it's really Your cool. mind just goes... Yeah. That's the thing. You're so creative. You're just... You're doing what you love. Last question. Top five favorite bands of all time. <sighs> Even a gun to your head. Okay. I mean, sorry about that. Okay. No, 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 no. Uh, Chris, Chris and I... <laughs> Not put, a gun to your head. We, we, we play this game all the time. <laughs> all right. And, and now, listen, you, I know you have a, you're friends with a lot of these guys, but so you got to really, in your heart of heart, top five bands. Okay. Top five bands. I bet I can get one of them. Okay. Depeche Mode. Num- tied at number one. Smiths. No, who Who is tied with Depeche Mode? Do you think the Smiths? No, no. Uh, Depeche Mode. Duran Duran. Beatles. Beatles. Oh, the yeah. Beatles. All right. And greatest song from the Beatles for me, She's Leaving Home. That is a three-minute movie. If you listen to the lyrics of that. Write that down. It's a movie. It, most incredible and the way the chorus changes from she's leaving home to she's having fun just brilliant the pesh mode beatles. beatles um it's gotta be morrissey or smith's i'm sure tears for fears oh i love tears i just tears. saw him at the ball Great. yeah uh sergio mendes ah M- my all-time favorite song that Krista's going to play at my wake right. in about 112 years' time is Masconada. It, it's Brazilian. I know it, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a song. It's just. And what's the last one? The last one is maybe now Duran Duran. Duran Duran. Having spent, seen them recently a number of times in concert and realizing what an incredible body of work they oh, have. Yeah. And I made a mistake a few years back when I was uh, actually having drinks with Simon. We were talking about, uh, you know, radio and touring and all different kinds of things. And I went, God, you're so lucky to have so many songs. And he looked at me, he goes, has nothing to do with luck. And he, he was right. <laughs> he dick. was right. No, it, 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 it was it was work, you know. I yeah, mean, they, they put it together. Because so many bands would kill to have that many songs it's uh incredible richard this has been awesome to me I, I just so much insight it's just like i know little things about you and your talent and this but i didn't know a lot of these stories and how all these things came together and there's so much more to talk about get the book world in my eyes he has so many other books it's so interesting if you love the 80s if you love music he knows so much about music and your life is so interesting and I'm so happy for you and, and Krista and that you found your person and, um, and, and thank you for being a friend and coming here today. Oh, anytime I'll come back. And next time I won't talk so much. Oh, no, uh, <laughs> I like it. It helps me. It's easy for me. Cool. All right. You're the best. Thanks. Yeah. He, uh, he opens up. There wasn't, he doesn't really hold back. You know, and I and his stories are really interesting and and fun, and it just puts me. I love that era. I love hearing about. Does he know these people? Or you know, meeting Duran Duran, or going out with beautiful Terry Nunn from Berlin, and uh, it was just uh, it was fun for me. It really was, and I hope it's fun for you, any '80s folks out there. Um, again, Patreon.com/slash Inside of You. Join today, support the podcast. I will send you a message. Uh, we need you to support the podcast and. Talkville podcast. Uh, that's 
patreon.com slash talkville if you want to support both podcasts more so mine um but thank you for listening today uh one of the perks of being a patron is you get your your name the top tiers get their name shouted out every month every week every week 50 episodes a week because i think we do 50 maybe we do 51 not sure but ryan let's do it here are the shout outs to the top tier patrons Nancy Davis. Oh, do them in a spooky voice. You should do all your spooky voices. Leon Kristen. Little Lisa. Yukiko. Your turn. Jill E. Brian H. Nico P. Robert B. Jason W. Sophie M. Raj C. Joshua D. Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jamal F. You're New Yorker now. New Yorker. Janelle F, give me a taxi. A <laughs> O, Janelle B, <laughs> Ashley Ryan, A O, Mike E. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jason, put some little creepy Halloween music over this. It'll be funner. Just like. Dee, 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 dee. <laughs> Held on Supremo, 99 more, Santiago M, Chad W. Leanne P, Patty S, Belinda N, Dave Hall. Hello, Dave Hall. Sheila G, Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T. This is Dracula. It is. I <laughs> see that. It's very good. Tom N, Talia M, Betsy D, Rhiannon C. Well, let me tell you about Corey K. It's like Stallone doing a vampire. Dave Nixon, Michelle A. Jeremy C, Brandy B, Joni B, Joey M, Eugene and Alia. That's Italian now. Well, Dracula's vaguely. He's Italian. kind of from Romania, actually. That's true. Not Italian. Corey, Angela F, Mel S, Christine S, Eric, Eric H, Shane R, Andrew M. Let's turn it. That was good. I you know, saw you're you going. Know, uh, the show What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. For Nandor. Nandor. Guillermo, I understand you want to be a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew M. And Amanda R. Jen B. Kevin E. Stephanie K. Jorel. Jamin J. Leanne J. Guillermo. Guillermo. Luna <laughs> R. Mike F. Stone H. Stay Wild Moonchild. Brian L. Kendall L, Kara C, Jessica B, Kyle F, Marisol P, Kaylee J, Brian A, Ashley F, Marion Louise L, Romeo the Band, Frank B, Jen T. That is close it out. Nikki L, April M, April R M. Yeah. Randy R and Randy S, Derek N, J D W, Oro P. Ginger Insomniac, Rachel D, Lorla L, hello, Lorla L, Melissa H, Nicholas W, Stephanie and Evan, Charlene A, and don't forget, Don G. <laughs> all right. That is all our top tier patrons, but we love you all. Thank you for listening. I hope you come back next week because this accent could have pissed you off more than I could possibly imagine. <laughs> but it won't be back next week. I promise you that. Thank you, Bryce and Ryan 
and Jason Nelkin for the wonderful editing and putting up with my horseshit all the time. I love you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> Michael Rose Mom here from the Hollywood Hills in California. I also have a heart. <laughs> I also have a heart. Uh, a heart on. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm also here. A little wave to the camera. We love you guys. Be good to yourself. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.